So, I can't necessarily relate to this, but I've been told that when you have a pet, whether a dog, a cat, a hamster, there are times when they need to visit the vet, especially to get standard shots, and sometimes even when they're sick. And one thing I always found fascinating about the process of taking a pet that you love to the vet is that the pet itself, the dog, the cat, the hamster, they can't quite comprehend why they're there. And because they're animals, they don't quite understand what a shot is and why it's needed. So I can only imagine when a dog, for example, is experiencing the pain from a shot, the dog itself, the pet, is confused. Specifically because in most cases, it's their owner who is encouraging this pain. See, from their perspective, their owner who feeds them, who comforts them, who loves them, is bringing them to this place and this place is causing them pain. And in some cases, it's not just a little discomfort, it's extreme pain that causes extreme discomfort. And that must be confusing for a dog or a cat to be put through that process. Even in situations when pain isn't really an issue, like with a cone collar on a dog, to a dog, they want to be able to lick themselves, to scratch themselves, but you, their owner, who claims to love them, you put this device on them that stops them from being able to do what they want to do. How are they supposed to make sense of this? In many ways, I think we as humans struggle in the same way. As we've been talking about in the last several episodes, we are told about a God in the Bible, a God of love, a God who created us in his image and will and has done everything he can to save us. He's given up everything out of love. Now, you would think being the creation of that God of love that once we accept him into our life, things would be easy. In fact, you would think that after he committed the greatest sacrifice, giving up his life to save us, that after the fact, everything would be fine and dandy. But the reality is that's not the case. And when you discover that, it can be real easy to be discouraged or start to doubt this God of love. But just like with your pet, they oftentimes can't understand the process that you're putting them through for their own sake. That's the case with God and the plan of redemption that he put into place. After Jesus rose from the dead, we would expect him to take to heaven the good and send the rest spiraling into hell, right? That is certainly what the disciples thought would happen. They also thought he would establish his kingdom on earth right there in Jerusalem. But Jesus didn't do that either. It was very confusing and uncomfortable for the disciples to learn this. Instead, Jesus mysteriously showed up to his disciples at random moments in random places for various reasons across 40 days. 
Then he ascended into the clouds while his disciples were watching, wondering what to do next. Uncomfortable. Slightly painful. Some angels told them to go back to the city and wait until they would receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them that when receiving the Holy Spirit, they would preach with understanding and power. So, though confused, afraid, tired, they did as they were told. And we haven't seen Jesus since. So, what is Jesus doing? Didn't he fix things or save us or do something positive when he was here? This world certainly doesn't seem fixed. Murder, hate, disease, evil, pestilence. Where is God in all of this? Even though it seems like everything should have been finished at the cross, there are actually more pieces in the work of salvation than just the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus himself said as much. On the final night before Christ was crucified, he was eating with his disciples, the famous Last Supper. You've seen plenty of pictures of this. At that time, Jesus said some words that most of us sooner or later have heard, perhaps at a funeral. He said this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John 14, 1 through 3. Now, if this is the same God who created the universe by speaking the words and bam, everything came into existence. It shouldn't take him 2,000 years to build a few billion or trillion houses, right? God is not preparing houses or dwelling places in heaven. But something in heaven is being prepared. What is it? Well, let's answer that question. As we saw, God became human so that he could completely understand humanity's joys and woes. He lived a perfect life, never breaking the law. In fact, not only was he perfect in not breaking God's law, he was perfect in fulfilling it. He then died in humanity's place, nailing our sins to the cross. When Jesus rose from the dead, he spent 40 days teaching the disciples and others everything that the Old Testament had said about him and salvation. He made sure that the small group understood things because he put the entire message of love and hope to the world in their hands. Then Christ went to heaven to further unite heaven with earth. After Lucifer, Satan spread lies about God and accused God of a self-centered authority. There were many questions in the minds of angels and others in the universe about these accusations. Though their questions about God and his love were answered by Jesus dying on the cross, other questions lingered about humans. God was going to bring a bunch of former sinners to heaven. To angels and others in the universe, this could be a potentially scary prospect. 
Not to say that they didn't have faith in God, but God is seeking to leave the universe free from questions so that every knee will bow in full agreement, unified. So the angels, they wondered, who should come to heaven? Who should not? Was heaven a safe place for repentant sinners? Would they pollute heaven with lies as Satan had done? Would evil arise in one of them? And what is the appropriate sentence for the selfish people on earth? There were so many other questions too that needed answering. But now God was better able to answer these questions because he could identify with their human experience and advocate appropriately for each human case. Yes, you heard that right. Every human life that has ever existed would be reviewed. All the questions by all intelligent beings in the universe would be answered, and judgment would begin with those God planned to bring to heaven. So, quote-unquote, the books were open. Daniel 7, 9, and 10. Jesus had work to do. One part of the job was on earth, dying on the cross, and the other part was in heaven. He was the perfect person to do this because he could identify with people in both places. On earth, he was to help this small group of Christ followers. Christians tell the rest of the world that they could be saved and live with God if they wanted to. In heaven, he was also going to judge the world in the presence of the universe and advocate for those who would be safe to bring to heaven and live forever. Jesus can perfectly understand every experience of humanity. He, best in an open and authentic judgment, can explain each person's case before the bar of heaven. God already knew who he would bring to heaven. He had no obligation to prove his decisions to anyone, but that is what makes God different from all we know on earth. God is love. He wants to open up his decisions to the scrutiny of the universe so that all will sing his praises. Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow before a God who is, who was, and who always will be one who does what he says he will do. This whole plan, the work of salvation and judgment, was set out everywhere in the Old Testament. This was nothing new. Think about it this way. The Old Testament drew a picture and a blueprint of a house God wanted to build, while the New Testament explains the blueprint and starts the actual construction of the house. Jesus says that he came to fulfill the blueprint. We find this in Matthew 5, 17-20, which means that he came to explain it and begin construction, begin executing the plan. But how? This was the overall plan in simple terms. Firstly, Jesus would live perfectly. Then he would die in humanity's place, prepare heaven for humans and humans for heaven, judge the world, come a second time, answer the questions of the saved during a millennium, then destroy evil.
So when the question is asked, what has Jesus been doing for 2,000 years? The answer is, for 2,000 years, Jesus has been preparing people for heaven and preparing heaven for people. But God has also been doing something else. He has been allowing time for evil to mature and to show its true colors. When God finally destroys evil, he wants the lines to be clear. He wants there to be no mistake between good and evil. He wants both to appear to the universe just as they are. Good in all its goodness and evil in all its evilness. He wants there to be no desire for evil to ever rise again. When Jesus' work in heaven is finished, there will be a transition to the next step of salvation. Jesus will answer the paradox of how he could be all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing, and evil still exist. When your pet is sick or just needs several different shots and potentially a cone collar or any other uncomfortable device or contraption, to your pet, this process can seem strange, uncomfortable, and confusing. But to you, as the owner who loves your pet, although the process may be weird, uncomfortable, and cause a bit of pain, you know it is necessary to give your pet the best life you can give it. And God is no different. When he looks at our situation, it's not enough to simply die for sin. The plan, the process, is a little more complicated than that. But rest assured, it's all done in love. It's all done to prepare us and to give us the best life, the best future we can have.